Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With the third pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New York Knicks select R.J. Barrett. What up, listeners, readers, fans, lost Knicks fanatics now looking for uh, a place to call home now that our season has been ruined by an awful trade deadline because the Knicks didn't trade Alec Burks. And now you're looking for what else to look forward to in Knicks land for the rest of the universe. I'll tell you, draft coverage. That's right. It's that time of the year. In case you were wondering, listener, I was being sarcastic. If you're really mad about not trading Alec Burks, please go outside and enjoy the weather. Nonetheless, it's February, which means it's almost March, which means it's almost officially draft season. And we're going to continue our journey through big boards and conferences and the G League and overseas players. And to help us do that for this episode of Draft Strickland, I have a very special first time guest we have my guy wilco from the youtube channel floor and ceiling you can find him on twitter at wilco mcv if you don't have the time to watch mad college games or read all of my tweets i highly recommend you just check out wilco's youtube channel because every video he puts out I agree with like 99% of it. So the shortest way to skip my rambling and figure out how I feel about a prospect is probably to check out his videos. And he's probably much more articulate about it and you get good clips to go with it. So go subscribe to that. Go follow him on Twitter. Wilco, how you doing on this fine Friday evening or Afternoon for me, morning for you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate all the praise for the channel. A uh, new video coming out this weekend for Ty Ty Washington as well. So be on the lookout oh, for shit. that. But uh, yeah, man, excited to get get into some draft talk. Before we get started, uh, I do have to announce to people uh, that if you're a Knicks fan, there are places to commiserate with other Knicks fans. Uh one of them being the Strickland. And the Strickland does have a Patreon now. Uh, if you, There are many tiers you can subscribe to. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to this pod right here, but also gets you access to my mailbag that I do with Jeremy and Drew every other week. Um, that is fun, uh, and it's great, and it's dandy. Uh, it also gets you access to the Strickland Discord, where everybody is talking about how happy they are watching this team night to night and how pleased they are with the job that Tom Thibodeau is doing. Um, we also talk about other stuff like The Sopranos, uh, music. Sometimes we have extended debates about the movie Forrest Gump. Uh, but 
There are further tiers. There's a nine dollar tier that gets you access to weekly articles by the wonderful Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda. It also gets you access to two a solo pod I do, uh, which isn't really that exciting. Uh, it's called Strick and Roll. But if you want to listen to me yell more about the Knicks, you can do that. Uh, there are further tiers. There's a fifty dollar tier, thirty dollar tier, fifty dollar tier, a hundred dollar tier. All of those come with additional benefits like. Merchandise discounts, listening and uh, watch parties for games, listening and pod recordings, even potentially hosting a pod one day. Uh, but whether you choose to subscribe or not, your support is much appreciated. None of this would be possible without you. And without further ado, uh, let's get back to talking about our New York Knicks. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, with the trade deadline yesterday, I don't. I think a lot of Knicks fans kind of read the writing on the wall. We're probably not going to be very good for the rest of the season, but there's still very much an open question of just exactly how bad we'll be. Like we somehow beat the Warriors without RJ. So we're clearly not like, I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs, but they're probably not one of the worst five teams in the league. And the chance of the Knicks is moving up is zero. Cause that never happens to us. So you know, it's really fun to look at the guys in the top five, like Paolo and Chet and whoever, but I'm really much more interested in the guys from that six to 15 range, because that's really almost certainly where we'll be picking. And some of those guys are a little bit less sexy, less jump off the screen than, you know, highlight reels like Jaden Ivey or polished 250 pound beasts like Paolo or aliens like Chet, but I, there's a lot of talent there in that, in that six to 15 range. And we're here today to talk about a couple of these guys who uh, you have also produced really, really cool videos on. And the first one I want to talk about is my guy, Johnny Davis from Wisconsin. So I guess my first question for you about Johnny Davis is like, was he on your radar last year? I mean, well, before I answer that, let let me just say like, I I 100% agree with you. Um, The Knicks are definitely going to be in that six to 15 ish range. I think it's going to be more like 10 to 15. Um, We're looking at the way, you know, things are going this season. I agree. Like the team, the, the Knicks are not a, you know, top five bad team in the NBA or anything like that. They're just sort of, you know, in no man's land right now, which, uh, you know, the trade deadline, I feel like the Knicks could not have addressed that really in such a short notice. So I guess the rest of the season is going to be what it is. But with Johnny Davis, I definitely think this is someone who would be very interesting for the Knicks. And before I get into that, let me just say, I can understand some of the concerns about Johnny Davis, because when you watch him, you know, he's not the greatest at creating separation or it doesn't look like he's the greatest, but you know, he always gets his shot off for the most part. He's only just, you know, six, four, six, five ish, you know, sort of in that Devin Booker kind of mold where he's not like super explosive, but he's athletic enough. So I do think like the concerns exist for a reason, but on the other hand, I do think that we're seeing more and more in the NBA, especially in tight game situations that you need a guy who's going to be able to operate in that mid-range. Johnny Davis is very, very comfortable doing that. Um, You know, he can play out of ball screens as well. He's not going to be the most natural passer, but again, he gets the job done. And once again, to sort of go back to that Devin Booker comparison, 
I think it should be more like a reference point, but if we look at how Booker has improved as a playmaker since he came into the league, if Johnny Davis follows something like that, then really you've got a three-level scorer who can playmake a little bit. And of course, on the defensive end, he's an absolute menace there too. Yeah, that's super helpful. So for folks listening who are less familiar with Johnny Davis, I guess we probably should have started with the the general sales pitch of like, who is this guy, right? So like, he's a sophomore and he was on radars last year, but not in a, not in a big way. And it became clear early on in the season that he had taken a leap. Um, and he pretty much was the centerpiece of the offense for Wisconsin, which is a solid team. And, you know, it's not often in colleges that Younger guys are like the centerpiece of an offense, especially guards, right? Even guys like Jaden Ivey are, they're not, you know, Jaden plays off ball half the time and he shares the offense scoring and passing load with point guards and with centers. So uh, when you see a team doing well, and one of the reasons they're scoring well is one guy shouldering a ton of the offensive load, it kind of causes my antennas to, to jump up a bit early in the season. And my immediate question was like, okay, Wisconsin seems to be on offense powered by this six foot four, six foot five guy who's not the most explosive, but his jump shot seems really good. Um, his jumper numbers have come down a little bit since the beginning of the year, but and we'll get into this in a little, but like he's clearly comfortable taking threes, taking mid range, taking shots off the dribble, not just off the catch. And he's also really comfortable mixing it up off the dribble. So like you mentioned his screen usage, he's, uh, I actually watch him and see some similarities to how RJ Barrett plays on the Knicks now. Um, of course, RJ is a little bigger and a little stronger, but Johnny Davis is pretty strong for a 20 year old himself. And they both, they both love taking screens and rejecting them and just playing with the screens and then just bullying their way into the paint. And um, where RJ pretty much gets to the rim by any means necessary, the big difference is Johnny Davis is very comfortable uh, taking that midi pull-up that you mentioned. Um, I mean, he's also comfortable getting to the rim. I, I don't know. I haven't checked lately, but a couple weeks ago, I think well over a third of his shots were at the rim, which is quite a lot for um, a ball handler who's not a point guard. So uh, that's a pretty good sign, especially considering all the offenses. I mean, all the defense is focused on him, so it's not like he has an easy path to the rim. Um, and he's similar to RJ in that like, he, he does all this without really having that explosiveness, without having incredible length or anything like that. Like I think Johnny is like a six seven wingspan eight or something like that so rj is a little longer but he's just he's a he's just relentless like he it's the willpower is crazy and we saw um we saw some not buzzer beaters but we saw like some game winners early in the year some, some clutch plays versus big opponents um stuff like that so there's definitely a lot to like and um i want to go back to one thing you mentioned about like, okay, so this guy's a, you know, like what, like if we talk about his, the shakier parts of his offense, you know, he's, he's clearly a, he's one of the leading scorers in the country and he scores from everywhere. 
and he can handle the ball and he's on a really good team. So listeners might be like, all right, why isn't this guy a top five pick? Well, I guess I'll ask you, like, what what stops you from putting him in the top five? Sure. So uh, just to quickly go back on what you asked me earlier, um, it's partly it's partly what you said. You know, Johnny Davis, he had a very modest, I guess you could say, freshman season at Wisconsin. So while he was on some draft radars, I just had him as, you know, as a guy to maybe watch. Um, but this type of breakout was definitely not expected. So it kind of goes back to what you were saying. Um, what I was looking out for was, number one, is this going to be sustainable throughout the season? And like you said, you know, the jump shooting numbers have gone down a little bit, but I'm not too concerned um, just because of what, you know, what we've been saying. Wisconsin relies so much on Johnny Davis that, you know, their entire offense essentially revolves around his decision making, whether that's scoring or facilitating when the time comes or even on the defensive end. They're very reliant on him there, too. But, you know, when I look at that and then I look at how he might play in the NBA, I think something that's very important to consider is that we most likely, at least in the short term, we're not going to see Johnny Davis sort of shoulder that same offensive load that he does at Wisconsin, especially once he's coming into the league as a rookie. I don't expect him to, you know, be the sort of ball dominant guard that he can be at times for Wisconsin. I think he's going to be more of, you know, a spot up shooter, someone who can attack closeouts and sort of get going on defense before getting into his offensive arsenal, so to speak. So what keeps me from uh, making him a top five pick? Well, I think there's a couple things. Um, The first one is just the size and the athleticism. There's not too much that he can do to improve on that front. Um, you know, I do think that the spacing in the NBA will help him just as it does with many other prospects. But at the same time, you know, if you watch Johnny Davis over a few games, you can definitely tell that, you know, he needs a little bit of a runway to get going. Um, he can definitely throw down a big dunk here or there, but he's not really just going to explode in traffic. He's more of a guy who gets to his spots through his strength rather than his athleticism. So there's that um, as well. You know, his playmaking also... I think can still improve. Um, This isn't really a role that he's been asked to do at Wisconsin very often. So I am curious to see how it looks like once he's in the NBA. But if we look at both of his seasons last year and now this year, um, you know, the assist to turnover ratio is just not very encouraging. Um, You know, this season, it was pretty much one-to-one for both years. And while I do think that Johnny Davis for sure makes his team better, it's just not necessarily through his passing. Um, he's very much more of a score first two guard and he's not a very natural playmaker. He's not the best athlete, um, you know, not overly long or big. So, you know, I have, I have concerns about that and I have concerns about how this lack of athleticism or elite athleticism, I should say, will translate to the NBA because, you know, how is he going to be able to get spaced out, um, on a regular basis? Is he going to be able to create separation off the dribble just as well as he does in college? And, you know, Once he's in the NCAA, sure, he's a very good defender there and he can sort of guard one through three in the college game. But in the NBA, I think that's limited to ones and twos. And we haven't really seen him, you know, play defense on a type of guard like Steph Curry or Damian Lillard when he's healthy, someone like that. So I think those are my concerns with him. And I'm very high on Johnny Davis, but I do think top five is a bit much still. I'm glad you brought up his defense because that's the other... Like I'm, I'm with you. He, he's not top five to me, but I, I don't want to. Even though his shooting, like, there's an open question of just how good of a shooter he is. 
Um, it's clearly he's clearly a good shooter. It's just like, is he a good shooter or is he a great shooter? And that's an important question. But one thing that makes me worry less about that question is he doesn't get all his value from offense, which is something you uh, you hinted at. Um, another unusual thing about Johnny Davis is, despite being most of their offense is at least on the college level, he's kind of a beast on defense. So I guess my question for you would be like, how, how do you describe his defense? Cause we've seen different kinds of good defending two guards the last couple of years in the top 10, right? Like you have guys like Halliburton and Vassell who, who, who dominated defensively in college, not so much on ball, but, but just knowing what was happening off ball and predicting passes and making the right rotations and, getting in the passing lanes, using their quickness and their length. And then you have other guys, you know, Maxi and comes to mind, and I'm sure I'm missing a zillion other players who are just advanced on the ball um, or, you know, don't get, don't get killed by screens. They're good at getting around screens, um, stuff like that. So how would you kind of characterize him as a defender? Yeah, I really like Johnny Davis, first and foremost, on the ball. Um, I sort of can see a little bit of Gary Trent Jr. Um, this season in the NBA. He's been very good defensively. I sort of think that Johnny Davis can play a similar role. Um, I think Gary Trent is a little bit bigger than him, but still. Um, just in terms of defending, you know, mostly ones and twos. I think that's what Johnny Davis is really going to be doing, um, particularly early on. But I love that he plays with multiple efforts. Um as you were just saying, you know, getting over screens, that can be a very, very valuable skill. And I think that Johnny Davis definitely has that, um, you know, on the chance that he does get beat off the dribble or let's say, you know, he's trailing behind the screen a little bit. He's always going to work hard to get back into the play. And if he gambles or, you know, if he gets caught out of position or whatever the case may be, he's always going to try to recover. So I really like his motor on defense. Um, I definitely think that it helps him going on offense as well, not just him, but, you know, his team really. Because once you create plays on one end of the floor, it's probably going to lead to something on the other end. Um, in terms of off-ball defense, I'm not worried per se. Um, I think, you know, once you get into the NBA as a rookie, it's always going to take, you know, maybe a year or two to sort of, you know, get acclimated to the league. And the rare guys are those who come in right off the bat and they're immediately good on defense. So like Herb Jones this year, right? Like you could probably make a case for him you know, being on an all-defense team, and no one would really be, you know, weirded out by it. But I do think Johnny Davis, I mean, I think he's going to be fine. Like, there, there's still times where, you know, he'll get lost off the ball or he'll be ball-watching here or there. But at the same time, I'm considering that, you know, he has such a high usage rate on offense. Um, Wisconsin is so reliant on him there that it would sort of be unreasonable to expect him to always be locked in on defense. And in fact, you know, as we've been saying, one of the things that already sets him apart is that despite his offensive workload, um, you know, he's still very good on the ball on the defensive end. He'll create, you know, deflections, steals, he'll force turnovers. And again, you know, he's just annoying. He's just annoying on defense. Like he's not going to give you really space to breathe, space to pull up. And he's always just going to be in your face, making multiple efforts, using his length. Just, you know, I really like him on this end. Yeah, that's a, that's a good summary of his defense. And, um, you know, I was just looking at last year's draft, and there's actually quite a few uh, two guards who are decent on defense um, who went last year. Davion, first and foremost, 
Suggs, if you consider him a two guard, Zaire, uh, he's sort of a just giant two guard. Um, Moody and Duarte are both similar sized to Davis and pretty solid defensively. Um, Springer and Christopher, uh, Quentin Grimes, like there's, there's a lot of solid two guards in there. So I defensively, I'd put them kind of like right in the mix with all. Maybe not like Davion and Suggs, but the other guys, like I, I put him right up there on defense. So he's he's definitely solid, and you know the class gets a little weak after the top five. So I think in other years he might be a little lower, but um for this year I could easily see a team picking fifth or sixth or seventh, just being like, this guy's a safe pick. We'll pick him. He ain't got nothing to worry about. We are, He already showed that he's a worker because look at his improvement from freshman to sophomore year and all that. You know he's not afraid of the moment, um, all that good stuff. So he's he's just solid. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what team picks him and if he drops because his team – you know, he's the type of guy who, if he continues to shoot poorly and his team maybe doesn't have a great conference tournament or a March Madness or something, I could see some executives being like, oh, he might not have the upside. And then he drops a little bit for, you know, behind some other more flashy guys. So, you know, we'll see what can happen. But um, I want to take us to the, the second guy we want to talk about, another player you did a video on, which is Keegan Murray, who uh, is a power forward for Iowa. He's a sophomore He's a little older. He's going to be 21 and a half years old at draft time. Um, he His stats are crazy in college. Um, per 36, he averages 27 and 10 and two and a half blocks and one and a half steals. And I think per 36, that's probably the highest of anybody who's going to go in the first round this year. So, um He's an interesting type of player, and I was really excited when I saw you had a video on him because he's just a dude that I kind of struggle to understand and evaluate, and I don't really know what to make of him. So for people who haven't seen him beasting on people for Iowa, he isn't super athletic. He he gets a lot of points by posting up and facing up in the mid post, which he can, which he does despite not being super athletic and despite not having crazy handle, he just kind of is stronger than he looks. And he's, like I said, he's six, nine or six, eight, something like that. And I don't know how long his arms are, but probably close to seven feet. And he has great touch and his motor is just crazy. So he's just, he's, he just outworks guys and uses his size and strength advantage and, but he doesn't look like the guy who's going to be bigger or stronger than guys in the NBA. So I'm like, ah, does that translate? Is he going to get buckets like that? And then you see him shoot and you look at his shooting percentages and I don't know where they're at right now. Let me see. He's at 36% from three and 75 from free throw. So that's all right. And he takes quite a lot of threes. Um, I think, I haven't checked in a while, but probably like eight or nine per 100 possessions, which is solid. Um, for a while, it was up to like 10, which is a lot. So he's not afraid to shoot that thing. Uh, I actually like how his shot looks, and I could see him taking even more threes in the NBA. But even with all that, I'm I just like, I don't know what to make of him as a player. So 
What I'm going to ask you is, if, if you were Keegan Murray's agent and you were meeting with teams, you know, after your draft workouts or before your draft workouts or whatever, what would be your sales pitch for Keegan as a top 10 guy? Well, if I'm trying to sell Keegan Murray to someone, and to be <laughs> honest, I, I definitely would. I, I'm big on him. Um, I think, you know, once I eventually have a big board, if he's in my top 10, I would not be surprised. But where I would start really is that, you know, Keegan Murray, he's sort of in an interesting situation. And I feel like it goes by a little bit unperceived just because, you know, I don't know, he doesn't have that, you know, buzz that maybe a Chet Holmgren does or something like that. But with Keegan Murray, you know, coming out of high school, he wasn't really a guy that was highly touted or recruited. Um, you know, he did a year in prep school after high school to kind of get more exposure. And even when he committed to Iowa, he was only a three-star recruit. So when you're seeing him put up the types of numbers that he does now, you're sort of thinking, all right, this is a guy who really only started playing at a higher level pretty recently. Um, and the fact that he's already this good makes me think that he could get even better um, in a pretty relatively short amount of time. Now, with Keegan Murray, I hear you. I do think he's a little bit hard to figure out. Um, you know, I kind of like to think of him um, sort of like a bigger Tobias Harris in that with Keegan Murray, like he's maybe a little bit too small to really be a five. And, you know, he's a good rim protector, but like I don't think you want him necessarily like guarding the rim in the NBA. You probably want him more coming in from the help side and things like that. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you have a four defending him, he's too strong, he's too skilled, he's really fluid. Um, you know, like you said, he's not the greatest athlete, but I think he's okay enough. Um, you know, like, I think he has some shake in transition, for example, you know, he can grab and go. That's one of the things that I like the most about Keegan Murray is that his handle, like you said, is not the most creative, but I do think you know, it's okay. Um, it's tight. Like he doesn't turn it over that much. Um, and, you know, he's very reliant on it too, um, either in the post, facing up, grabbing and going. So I have no real concerns there. Um, getting into his three-point shooting, like you said, I'm optimistic. Um, you know, his free throw percentages look good. He's taking a high volume of threes, like you said. Um, you know, like, a lot of the time his threes are assisted. I think like over 95% of his threes were assisted. So that's pretty much what his NBA role is going to be. I mean, he's not going to be pulling up from three off the dribble. He's going to be a spot up shooter or a catch and shoot guy. And the fact that he's already that in college while making about 36% of his trays, that bodes really, really well for his future. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really like Keegan Murray. Um, I think that figuring out his position is going to be a little bit of a struggle at first. Like you probably want him next to a big that is pretty versatile too. Like you don't want to put him next to only a guy who's going to post up because he needs those types of possessions too. But at the same time, I don't think you want to keep Keegan Murray away from the perimeter, be it as a spot up shooter, as someone who's trailing behind on the break and then you give him the ball and he pulls up from three or, you know, even as a guy who can just, you know, you clear the side of uh, the side of the floor out for him and he can just ISO, get down low, you know, maybe spin, shake, whatever the case is and finish. So that will be the challenge. But I definitely think that Keegan Murray has a ton of talent. He kind of reminds me, even though he plays the power forward in college, he, he gives me some NBA small forward vibes on offense with just like 
like like you said in college he's like a four or five but in the nba like it's just his skill set the ability to you know if we just throw if we just throw out power forward small forward and go with wings then what you said is exactly right like if there's a smaller wing on him he can probably power them power through them you know which you see from some guys who are bigger than him like pascal some guys who are about his size like tobias harris or even like thaddeus young um or RJ. Uh, and then if there's somebody who's a, a bigger power forward on him, uh, you know, John Collins type, he might be able to just get by them and, and use his craft in that way. So he's pretty versatile, which I think he has going for him. And it's not the, it's not the sexiest thing, but you see, I think a lot of versatile fours play big success important roles in successful teams these days, right? Just going around the league, like Larry Nance. I mean, he's, he's gotten traded lately, but like the Larry Nance, Aaron Gordon, Vanderbilt and McDaniels in Minnesota, um, Tobias, uh, Thad Young, not this year because he hasn't done anything because the Spurs just kept him on the bench, but, but last year. So I, I think a lot of a lot of where, where he goes will be important. Um, a team that has the that has the fit to use him in a versatile way, that'll be good. Um, but one thing that a lot of that separates some of these power forwards or bigger wings from other ones to me is versatility on defense. Right, like Tobias, for example, for all his awesome scoring. He's not the best defender, but guys like Pascal or Vanderbilt or Thad or McDaniels, like one of the things that sets them apart is they're bigger and they can defend up and down a bit. So Aaron Gordon is, is probably the the best version of that. Um, that's all he does for Denver is on defense. It's just like they sick him on whoever, whether it's a two or three or four or five, and he does his thing because um, he's really strong. Do you think... Uh, do you think Keegan has some defensive versatility in the NBA, or is he going to be more like a closer to like a Obi Toppin or Collins, where you mostly want him on like sized six nine ish guys, or Tobias Harris, for example? Yeah, I think it's definitely more so that. Um, yeah, I think he's not going to be especially versatile on defense in the NBA, and I think that's sort of what keeps me, um, you know, from moving him to that maybe top seven range or something like that. Um, with Keegan Murray on D, I like him the most when he's, you know, coming over, usually from the help side, you know, he can sort of track plays that way and come in, get a big block here or there. Um, you know, he's 6'8", 6'11", wingspan isn't terrible, but like he's not that long either. Um, and he definitely needs a little bit of time to get off the floor. So that's why I like him better coming in from the side rather than, you know, being a five who's really just, you know, more like Rudy Gobert, who's like involved in a lot of pick and roll actions, and you know he like just like stands in front of the rim and guards that way. Um, on the perimeter, like, I mean, at Iowa he's been okay. You know what I mean? Like, he's so big there, and like he's so good that like it doesn't really matter. Like, he's gonna, <laughs> yeah, he's gonna get his buckets on the other end of the floor, and then like no one really wants to go at him on defense really either. So I mean, like, his motor is not the best, but like when he's motivated, like he's okay. Like. He can, you know, he can get down in a stance here or there and kind of move around. And, like, the spacing is so different, too, in the NCAA that he doesn't really get taken advantage of. But 
I do think that he will get punished more in the NBA. Um, you know, he's still going to be as big and as skilled, but like the floor is going to be spaced out so much better. Um, he's going to be facing, you know, bigger, better athletes, quicker athletes, stronger athletes. Um, and, you know, Keegan Murray, he's just not that mobile laterally. Um, you know, he can't really backpedal either to stay with drives or like if you put him in pick and roll action, um, you know, he's very inconsistent there. Like he's not the best at backpedaling like that either or even like really kind of playing the right angles between the guard and the screener. So he will definitely have to improve on that end. Um, you're definitely going to want to keep him, you know, probably off the ball in the NBA, I would say. Early on, probably hide him on defense as much as you can. Um, but again, you know, I think like a few years down the line, he's going to be a guy that he's either, you know, a neutral defender or, you know, he's a little bad, I guess. But I think he's going to be good enough on offense where like his defense isn't going to worry you, especially because Keegan Murray in the NBA, he's never going to be the number one option on his team like he is at Iowa. Yeah, that makes sense to me. That's that's kind of how I feel about him. Like, even though I want him to be that versatile defensive for it, it just doesn't seem like it's who he is so far, at least physically. And like you said, they don't have to worry. But he doesn't – like a lot of top scorers in college, you know, you get your buckets and you don't maybe necessarily give your A++ game on defense because you got – offense to worry about and you got teammates to get your back on on defense and uh that's one of the reasons why the whole johnny davis thing is notable because he does he does it on both ends despite being the guy but um yeah it's it'll be interesting to see him as a non-top option because he he really can do a little bit of everything like his i was just looking while you were um talking about his defense and he shoots like 42 percent on long twos like we said, he's probably going to be a good three-point shooter. He shoots like 70% at the rim despite being the main option. So he's really efficient at the rim. He's really efficient from mid-range. He can hit his free throws, and he's probably a good three-point shooter. So you can't really take anything off the table from him. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. You know, he's probably not going to be some 20-point-per-game scorer, but I could see him easily, um, whatever his workload is, he'll probably end up being efficient in and that bodes well for his chances as a rotation player, considering, you know, even if his defense is a little shaky, he can also rebound pretty well as well. Um, fortunately uh, for the Knicks, I don't think they really have to worry about taking him because they have Randall, they have Toppin, and they have RJ. So that's pretty much all of their four minutes and some, you know, with RJ and, and now Cam Reddish, that's a lot of their three minutes as well. So, um, that's not to say I don't think they would take a wing, a bigger wing. I think actually there's a good chance they take a bigger wing, but it would have to be a bigger wing who offers something that those guys don't. And Julius and, and Obi and RJ do so much of their damage uh, around the rim that someone like someone like Keegan is a little bit duplicative, I feel like. So... Um, you probably want whoever you take at the wing if you're the Knicks to be a little bit more versatile on defense for that reason. Um, so I would be really surprised if they ended up picking Keegan, but for other teams, uh, I think there's a lot of teams that could use him. Like the Blazers got two picks around there. Uh, the Wizards, the Spurs. I feel like he's destined to be a spur, just his game. Like, I don't know why it just, it's kind of boring. It's efficient. That screams Spurs, a spur to me. (laughs) 
Let me just uh, let me ask you a question though, because I I, I agree. Like I, I don't think Keegan Murray's gonna go to the Knicks. I mean, like if he did, it would surprise me. And I don't know. Like if I was a New York fan, I, I would be a little disappointed too, just because like you said, yeah, the fit is not great. But you know, if he sort of becomes, if he goes into the NBA and he sort of becomes like a younger version of what Carmelo Anthony is now, would you be disappointed? Because I mean, I think I see some similarities in terms of like being a four or like a small ball four that can, like, really rebound the ball. Um, you know, Keegan Murray, I mean, he's not nowhere near the same level of shooter as Carmelo, but in terms of, you know, all his threes basically being assisted, um, you know, once in a while you want to get him those possessions in the mid post or facing up. If this was his outcome, like, if you're getting a much younger version of what Carmelo is now, maybe with, like, a tiny bit more rim protection, would you be happy with that? As... As a Knicks fan or just, like, as a whoever drafts him fan? <laughs> uh, whichever, whichever. Yeah, I think I'd be happy for that. He kind of gives me, like, Kyle Kuzma vibes as well this season. Like, in the Kyle Kuzma's a giant low-key, and people forget that. But, like, yeah, it's kind of, like, similar family tree as, like, old man Carmelo and Kyle Kuzma, where, like, their job is to spot up, take a decent amount of threes, punish mismatches using their size, you know, get to the free throw line, you know, they're able to put it on the deck and draw fouls every now and then. Um, they're not locking up on defense, but they're not killing you on defense. And they're hitting the glass. Like, I, I think that's a that's a solid player. Like, like you said, Melo, we can make fun of him and the Lakers and all that, but he has a defined role and I think he's decent at it so long as you don't get him to, to overextend beyond that. And then Kuzma on the Wizards, you know, their season's on fire, but, like, it's not because of him. He's hooping, and he plays a similar role where he's largely a play finisher, but occasionally he can he can take a one-dribble jumper. He can catch in the middle of a zone and shoot or pass. You know, he can get a put back. He can run in transition and dunk. Like, that's – it's it's boring answer, right? You think top 10 pick, and you're like, oh, all-star, not fucking Kyle Kuzma, but – I, I, you're right. I do think, even though like haters might disagree, like that's a solid player. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I feel you. I think that's facts. Um, I mean, with Kyle Kuzma, like, yeah, I mean, he gets a lot of hate, or like, you know, he gets, you know, like <laughs> joked about a lot or whatever. But I mean, I, I think he's a real good NBA player. Like, I, I think he's gotten better. Not, I don't know, if every season since he got into the league, but like definitely on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's definitely a great rebounder, like you've been saying. And then like. Even um, with Keegan and him, like I think something that would set Kuzma apart from Keegan Murray right now is just the passing. Um, yeah. I think like Kuz has gotten to a point where he's like pretty comfortable, you know, um, pushing the ball on the break sometimes, or you know, yeah, here and there. Last like, night. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I like him a lot. I think Keegan Murray. I don't think he's gotten to that point yet. Like, I don't know if he will because I think like Kuzma operates a little bit more off the dribble, and then like Keegan Murray's mm-hmm. a little bit more in the post, maybe, mm-hmm. but. I do think like I want to get to that point where I'm seeing where I'm seeing Keegan Murray, you know, understand the attention that he draws and then sort of being able to use that to make his team better. Like, I think he still hasn't really gotten there yet. He's very much, um, you know, like a score first type of guy. And I think that's what he's going to keep being. But even like with Kuzma or like with Tobias Harris, they're still able to like, you know, make some pretty basic reads to just, you know, keep the ball moving, um, you know, take advantage of the attention that they attract. So I think that's where, like, Keegan Murray could still stand to get even better. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. Because if you watch Kuzma, even if, like, who's passing well, it's 
it's he's not making like fancy skip passes. It's like, oh, I'm bigger, so I'm gonna overpower somebody, and then the center's gonna come help, and I might just drop it off to my big, or you know, I'm in the middle of a zone because I'm large and can see things, but I'm not the center, and I can just flip it out to a shooter, things like that. And I, I'm not gonna say I expect Keegan to get that, but if he gets those kind of looks into his bag. I wouldn't be super surprised either because, like you said, like especially attacking mismatches and stuff, he's going to draw attention. And if he doesn't, then he's just going to score. So uh, you, you hope that he gets those um, those reads. And, and I feel like a lot of a lot of NBA players get the, get those basics down. You know, it's not that he's going to be any like four assists per game guy, but you just hope he's not a black hole or something. So we'll see what happens. Um, on the next guy I want to talk with you about who you released a video that was the most helpful of all your videos for me because footage of him was harder to get is Shaden Sharp. And for people who don't know, who haven't been, you know, deep on draft Twitter, Shaden actually hasn't played this year. He's at Kentucky, but he's until very recently, nobody even thought he was draft eligible. And then, the NCAA made an announcement, I guess, that for some, I, I, don't, I don't know the details of how it works, but he's draft eligible based on when he joined Kentucky and his birth year and all that stuff. So we don't know, like his parents and him and himself and even Coach Cal have been, they've confirmed that he's not going to play this year, but they, they haven't said whether or not he's going to return to Kentucky or the NBA. Um, Cal has kind of hinted that like, they're looking forward to him playing next year, but I just find it kind of hard to believe that he's going to turn down, you know, being a top 10 pick in a week, relatively speaking draft to go into next year's crazy draft and where he might not even be a top seven pick. Um, And it's definitely to me, one of those situations where like the kind of player he is. So for people who don't know Shaden Sharp, he's like, Six, he's like a six six. He's a, he's a great highlight tape. He's a, on offense. He's six six. When he gets a runway, he jumps high as shit. Like like he, the ball is well above the rim on his dunks, on his alley oops. He catches posters. He cocks that thing back. He can hit step backs. So his threes off the dribble. It's not just catch and shoot. It's like NBA range, tough threes and stuff like that. Um, again these highlights are all high school for the most part. Uh, So your mileage may vary if you care about the size of the competition and all that, but he clearly has some talent and some athleticism. So I think the important, the important thing I want to get across to people though, and and we can get into this a little bit um, is he's actually not the player that his highlight tapes make him out to be. And this is what was so helpful about your video is it helped kind of show some clips explaining why he's not your Jalen Green, Anthony Edwards type, where it's just like, oh, off the dribble, get to the rim at will, and then posterize you in traffic. Like, that's that's not really how he hoops. And, you know, the, the more clips I watched, you realize, like, oh, like, his dunks are usually off-ball cuts or on fast breaks, not really in traffic. And then, you know, his three-point shooting – 
it's super impressive for his age and it's it's mostly off the dribble not off the catch um so you know there's that and then the last thing we'll talk about is his defense of which of course there's no there's no highlight tapes of so um you you and your video talked about how the most appealing thing about him to you is his defense which is something i don't think anybody has said in on twitter or in other videos that i've watched so that like getting some clips of his defense and learning about that was super helpful before we continue ranting hoops fans the latest offer from DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba is too good to pass up I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. Uh, new customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge crash cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older. Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text the TN Redline 1-800-889-9789 in Connecticut. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text Hope and why four six seven three six nine. Is is he is he like a threes and dunks guy to you, or is there more more in the tank? Do you think? Uh, I think there's more in the tank for sure, but I just don't know when. Um, mm-hmm. I think like yeah, definitely like I think something really important to get across is that well, it, it's kind of hard to know for sure just because we haven't really seen him play very recently. Um, just because, like, of the whole situation at Kentucky, like you said. So we don't really know what type of version we're going to get of him once he's and back. he didn't play for Canada, right? Because he's Canadian, but I don't recall him in the play no, with, no. like, Matherin and those guys. Yeah, he was not there as far Yeah, as far as I can remember. I don't think he was there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, with Shaden Sharp, I mean, I, I love him off the ball. Um, I think, you know, it's a great starting point for him. Um, you know, he's so good once he's cutting or once he's like moving down and getting into like that rim area or, you know, getting into the paint, even like he can come up with a lot of solutions from there. Um, and you know, this is not a comparison and it's not even, you know, I'm not saying that this is how it's going to (laughs) go, but, um, I think like a good reference point for Shade and Sharp actually early on in the NBA might be Jonathan Kaminga in the way that, you know, I think they're both developing as shooters, but. With Kaminga this season, um, we've seen how any time that he's sort of playing that small ball five kind of role, um, you know, once he sort of plays, you know, setting screens and getting to the rim or pushing the ball in transition or cutting off the ball and finishing, like he's been so good doing that. And I think that Shaden Sharp can do that immediately in the NBA. Like even if he declares this year and come, you know, September or October or whatever, um, we're seeing him on an NBA court. Like I would expect him to be able to do all of those things. Not as a big like Kuminga though. What's that? Not as a big like Kuminga though. Not necessarily as a big like Kuminga, but just in terms of you know like the transition or you know just getting him going to the rim off of cuts or coming off the baseline, things like that. 
is where I kind of see those comparisons just in terms of not needing many touches to be productive. Um, but I do think, you know, you asked me if there was more in the bag. I think there will be more in the bag. Um, something that I don't even think we did this on purpose, but like with Johnny Davis <laughs> and Keegan Murray and now Shaden Sharp, I think something that sort of links the three together is uh, their improvement. They've all, you know, really improved in a big way um, over a relatively short time time span. So, you know, with Shaden Sharp, I mean, he was a wing in Canada who no one had really heard of. And all of a sudden he is, you know, the ESPN number one prospect for his high school class. Um, we're talking about him as a possible top five pick, I would say, this season if he does end up declaring for the draft. So, you know, he's worked very hard to improve the things that were really improvement areas for him. So half court creation. I was very worried about that because sort of what we've been saying a lot of his takes and a lot of his makes come, you know, cutting off the ball or getting up for a lob or pushing the ball on the break. And these things, you know, particularly if you're as good of an athlete as Shaden Sharp is, they're easy at the high school level, so to speak. But, you know, I do think that he really worked hard sort of once the game slows down, he's gotten better at being able to use screens here and there. Um, you know, he's, you know, added a little bit to his handle. It's a little bit less mechanical. Um, he's still very much like a straight line kind of driver, I think. But I'm not overly worried about his handle. Like, I think he's going to be fine there. And then also with half court creation, we have to get into the three point shooting. Um, and before we kind of break down his defense later, I do want to say that this three point shooting is just as big of a part of what makes Shade and Sharp appealing as anything else. Because now, especially over the last year or so, we were really seeing him, you know, start to pull up off the dribble with deep range. Um, you know, he sort of loves that tween and then, you know, get into the pull up and he's just so long that he can just, you know, shoot over you and there's not much you can do. But he's also started mixing in a step back here and there. Um, you know, I think his handle can still get more creative and, you know, his release point, I think, or his release rather, I should say, still needs to get a little bit quicker. Um, you know, he's so long that like at this level, he's not really going to get bothered all that often. But I do think in the NBA, he will have to speed it up a little bit. Um, but if we keep seeing, you know, this pattern of improvement, I think that Shaden Sharp for me, um, I was on another podcast last week, the Three Rings podcast, and I said that he was in my top five right now. And the way I see it, um, you know, I think that it would take someone becoming really, really good from now until the end of the college season to really comfortably dislodge Shaden Sharp from that top five. There you go. I'm happy you mentioned the the shooting because, um, God, I forget where I found it. Um, high school stats on the internet are, it's hard to find accurate high school stats, but there's a couple of people on Twitter who try to compile them um, to the best of their ability. And he, I think, shot 40 or 45% from three in high school. And then the same from at EYBL in a smaller sample, but versus better competition because it's Nike EYBL. Mm -hmm. um, so that's like pretty notable. There, there's there's not many high school players who shoot that well at that young age. He's obvious, like as, as folks might guess, he's going to come into the draft very young um, as one of the younger players. Another similarity he had to um, Kuminga, who you mentioned. Um, so he's like... Yeah, I'm happy you brought up the, the improvement thing with these three guys. That's not something I did on purpose. I didn't even notice that. But um, that's something I made a big deal about last year as well. Um, certain prospects who are on like a 
greater improvement streak or I don't, I don't even know a good way to phrase it. Um, I, I think that's usually a good indicator. The one exception is my son, Killian Hayes, who was improving a ton for a bunch and then undid all that shit when he got to the NBA, but we don't have to talk about that because I don't want to talk I mean, about it. He, he followed out in like 15 minutes last night, right? It's it's I could do a whole pot. I love talking about guys who I've missed on or have defied my expectations in a bad way, so maybe we can do another pod where we talk about those kind of guys. But for now, we're talking about optimistic guys who might end up Knicks um, and Sharp. Like, yeah, that's his three-point shooting and his dunking. If he can connect, if he can get that in-between game, that screen game, then that's a game changer. And that's what – it's not like his handle's bad. He has some really good moves. It's just not tight right now. Like, I wouldn't trust him doing shit in a crowd. But, like, one-on-one, he's pretty good at creating space for his three – he doesn't have blow by speed, so he's not gonna like whop your ankles and dust you like fucking Anthony Edwards or something like that. But um, he's got he's got some he's got some he's got some moves. And uh, one player who comes to mind as a reference point, actually, physically and skill wise, not so much uh, between the ears, is actually J.R. Smith, who Knicks fans are very familiar with. Um, J.R. Smith was a bit stronger, but he came in as a kid as well. He came in very young. He wasn't jacked until later. He was super athletic, but that athleticism manifested mostly for lobs and off-ball cuts and on the break, not really in the half court. Um, obviously, his three-point shooting is his greatest strength, and he ended up on the top 10 all-time list for three-point shooters, which I think people forget. Put some respect on J.R. Smith's name, listeners. And, uh, like... If we're talking slightly better attention to detail and what is happening around him, J.R. Smith, as like not a low end, but like a medium outcome for him, that's that's a pretty high floor. And that's kind of, to me, the argument for him in the the top five is like, he's young, but he's not risky. You know he's going to come in and be a great shooter. You know he's going to come in and be able to dunk in transition and off the catch. And you know he's going to at least com- you know, compete decently on defense. So, like, that's like I, there's some people on, on our crew at the Strickland who have him really high. Like my, my guy Tyrese, I think he's like top three or four for him. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where right now he may resemble a JR, but there might be more there. So it's a... Uh, it's interesting. It, it's it's not really. He's different from some of the star shooting guard prospects who have come recently, like Ant Man and 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 Jalen Green in that sense. But he's special in his own right because he's way ahead of them where they were as a shooter. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. But let's talk a little bit about his defense because, I mean, I, I know when I spent like an hour trying to find highlights, I really. I really didn't find much. You have to pretty much find full games. And if you can't find full games, then it becomes really hard to assess his defense. That's the problem with trying to evaluate a guy like that from, you know, our couches without access to like the fire scouting software and all that stuff. So um, what'd you, what'd you think of his defense? Yeah. I mean, finding, yeah, finding full games of this guy of Shaden Sharp was, was hard as hell, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I eventually found them. Um, but yeah, no, I, I love Shaden Sharp on defense and um, 
when you said at the top of this discussion, how about um, like I was like one of the only few people who kind of like brought up um, his skill on this end of the floor. Uh, I'm surprised to hear that because um, I mean, I, I think once you, you know, really get into the sh into the tape with Shaden Sharp, um, you're seeing a lot of great things on D. And for me, honestly, everything starts on the ball for sure. Um, this is a guy, you know, he's, he's long. I mean, seven foot wingspan. Um, you know, you can see him filling out. Like, he's still not super strong, like you kind of brought up. But I think he's going to get big eventually. Um, he kind of plays with high hips a little bit, but, like, he's quick enough to react. Um, he's long enough to contain for sure. Like, you can't really drive on him because either he's really easily going to just absorb the drive or just, like, take the contact. Um, because, like, even though he is skinny, like, he, you can't really move him that easily. Um, or, you know, he's just going to be playing with multiple efforts, kind of like Johnny Davis. Um, you know, whenever you think you have him beat, he's just going to come back into the play. His strides, they're so long. I mean, he just covers up a ton of space. So even if he has to recover, I trust that he can recover. And at this point in time, he is mostly a guy who I think is, you know, starts on the perimeter. And then if he has to, he'll, you know, stay with the drive, you know, get all the way to the rim and then maybe block the shot there. But for now, I do think that he's more of a perimeter guy, probably, you know, can defend. I would say, you know, in his first two years in the NBA, I would say that he can probably defend like one through three. And then once he gets stronger, you're hoping that, you know, you will be able to kind of downsize with him, maybe play him at the four in some lineups. Um, maybe like, you know, sort of what the idea with Cam Reddish at one point was. Not that I'm comparing the two, but just in terms of like size and length. Um, I do think that, you know, Sharp can definitely play the four at some, po at some point in his career. And then, you know, if he is able to kind of guard those bigger players and he is closer to the basket as a result, um, I've seen some flashes of rim protection that do encourage me. Um, you know, he can obviously, you know, get up for some big blocks just based on his athleticism. But when he is locked in, he has shown that he can understand off-ball defense to a decent level, especially when you consider that, you know, all the tape that we have of him is either on the EYBL circuit, like you said, or in high school. So defense is not really a focus um, in either right. of those competitions, I would say. But once he gets into the NBA, I definitely think that he's going to be a switchable defender, um, someone who makes plays on this end with his length, with his anticipation. Um, you know, you're hoping that he can get to the point where he can get blocks here and there. And, you know, on top of that, he's still so young. I mean, he's not even turning 19 until May. So the fact that he is already this polished on defense um, while playing, you know, in an environment that doesn't really encourage it. And at the same time, we're seeing all of these, you know, signs of growth on offense. I think that Shade and Sharp, I mean, I think he can be a real home run pick for whichever team drafts him. So one player who, there's two guys who, in my head, I kind of lump with him in this class. And we don't have to get into a, a full analysis of these two guys because there is one other player I want to talk about briefly before we get you out of here. But um, AJ Griffin, he's not really as much of a pure two because he's so jacked, but he's similar in that he's a six foot six, seven foot wingspan, three point shooter who's very young. I think they're almost the same age actually. And the other guy is Benedict Matherin, who's six five, I think. Also long arms, also athletic, also dunks on people's heads a lot off ball. Um, also similarly right now is more of a 
three and D and dunks guard rather than a like, oh, tween has the mid-range, you know, fadeaway Kobe type. Um, and making sense of the three of them and comparing them, like on the one hand, I get the upside for Shaden and, you know, he's younger and even if he doesn't have the in-between game right now, you know, maybe it'll come along. But like part of me wonders, like what makes him so different from someone like Matherin, who is also a great, great shooter, is also super athletic, um, you know, but does most of his athletic damage without the ball, um, also has a good motor on defense and on the glass. And, you know, nobody's talking about Benedict uh, as a as a top six, top seven guy, I, I think. So is it mostly just like a like an age and upside kind of thing to you separating him? Um, I, I think it's a bit of everything. I think um, just quickly addressing the the AJ Griffin um, mm-hmm. stuff. I think where AJG is a little bit different from Shade and Sharp is that I'm a lot more comfortable watching um, AJ Griffin kind of work off the dribble. Like I think he's very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, either getting into his drive or his shot. And he doesn't have, like, the most creative handle. Like, if you watch a Duke game, you can kind of tell that he only has, like, one bag, like, one move in his bag. <laughs> but but it's, like, it, it's so good that, it, like, it kind of works every time. And like, he's just, like, big and strong, so, like, it doesn't really matter that much. Um, and then, like, with Matherin, I think the age definitely plays a role. But... I think that Sharp, you can just tell that maybe there's a little bit more diversity to his game off the dribble. Um, Like with Matherin, I think he is, not exclusively, but I think he's mostly going to be an off-the-ball player in the NBA. Whereas with Sharp, I can see there like being more of like a 50-50 balance. And with Matherin, I think that his calling card really is going to be, you know, that 3 and D type of guy who can, you know, slide up and down on defense a little bit and who can make those athletic plays off the ball. I think that's what Matherin is expected to be. Whereas with Sharp, I think like you expect him to be that, but you expect him to add more to it as well. So I think that's sort of what sets them apart. But honestly, like with Matherin, um, like if I was to be a team and like I drafted him in, I don't know, in that like 10 to 15 range, like I, I would feel pretty happy about it. I think he's a very good player and, if you're a team like I don't know, let's say, like the, the Charlotte Knicks. Hornets, the <laughs> Knicks, the Knicks. Honestly, he would fit on the Knicks as a guy that you know you can just kind of plug and play him. I mean, I, I don't know if that would happen under the current coaching situation in New York, but on paper, like he is a guy, Matherin, who should be able to come into the league and kind of you know be solid to some extent right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. It's interesting. The two spot in general is interesting because there's going to be guys like hopefully Shaden, but maybe more likely Matherin and, you know, hope maybe even Davis. Who knows? But probably not. I, I'm pretty sure Davis is going to go top seven. But weirder shit has happened. But like <laughs> the Knicks, they obviously have Fournier who, you know, he's the vet. He's really good right now. Um, I know a lot of people on Knicks Twitter always stay slandering him, but I need people to put respect on my man's jump shot. He's really the only one shooting well for the whole season for the Knicks. Um, agreed, agreed. And uh, and then my my young son, Quentin Grimes, who's obviously super talented in his own right. So they got two guys there who can uh, who can fill it up. So like, there's definitely going to be a discussion in the Knicks front office about 
like how much they let positional log jams dictate uh, who they should pick because they kind of have people at every position, right? They have no one great except for like RJ and Randall, but and Mitchell Robinson, I guess you can include, but like whoever comes in is going to be stuck behind people, right? Even quickly is is also a two guard most of the time, so that's like at the two spot. At the three spot, you have. Fournier also plays sometimes at the three. RJ plays at the three. Cam can play at the three. Fournier can play at the three. Grimes can play at the three. Like, so no matter if we get a big wing or a small wing, uh, that's going to have to be an interesting discussion. So the question to me is like, what's the upside of the player? And do they offer anything that the current Knicks at those positions don't? And for someone like Shaden, I think the key, actually, this is true of Matherin as well. Um, the big thing that they offer at the two that the Knicks don't have is that athleticism, that ability mm-hmm. to get up and down and just get easy buckets through their length and athleticism. Cause like Quentin and Evan will get you threes cause they're amazing shooters, but they're not exactly exploding at the rim <laughs> through contact or anything like that. So, um, and neither is IQ that's for sure. So we really lack athleticism. So I, I could see at first I was like, I don't know where are they going to find the playing time? But if you kind of throw the log jams out the window and just look at what skills do they need, then, you know, defense and athleticism together is something the Knicks really don't have. And that's why someone like Sharp would be uh, appealing because Grimes has defense and not athleticism. Cam has size and defense, but not that much athleticism. Um, RJ, again, defense, not that much athleticism. So... I, I see the vision. I see the vision. So we'll see what shakes out with Shaden. The last guy I want to talk about real quick is a guy who, coming into the season, a lot of people thought was pretty much a surefire lottery pick, and that's uh, Usman Jiang. I think that's how you say it, um, who's currently playing in the NBL. He's French. He's like six. I've seen him listed at 6'8", six, 6'9", six, and 6'10". Coming into the season, everybody was like, oh, this guy's a lottery pick because he's like a, he can play point forward and he can shoot. And even though he's mad skinny, he has like great feel for the game and his length, the seven foot wingspan, seven plus, can help him disrupt people on defense. And then he kind of just went and stank up the joint on the NBL. And his team before the NBL in Europe also stank up the joint. So he's just been on losing teams for a while, which doesn't help his cause. But everybody was like, oh, the length and the height and the tools and the shot. So I'm wondering if, I guess my, I have two questions for you. One is just like, what's your, what was your first impression watching him? And then two, like, do you think the pendulum has swung too far in the other direction? Like, you know, now some team, I've seen him at like in the 40s and 50s on some, some big boards. And I'm like, even if he's been, actually kind of shitty on the court he's still a six foot ten long arm you know 17 year old or whatever so I, I i don't know the answer to these questions which is why i have you on the pod to just give me the answers to the tests so uh yeah curious what you think yeah i'll do my best um yeah I mean, <laughs> the first time i watched um uzman yang i mean it, it was a positive um impression for sure just because it was um, it was like on one of the French youth teams. So he's always been pretty good in that environment, um, like at the FIBA level, um, you know, sort of like as a focal point of that team as someone who could like handle the ball 
and you know shot a fairly decent volume of threes wasn't always making them but you could be like okay like i, I can kind of see how this might develop but um yeah i mean he he went to the nbl to the australian league this past season um as part of the nbl next starts program which um has worked out really well in the past for like lamello ball josh giddy um like you could probably even throw like rj hampton in there um like jay sean tate is another guy who's like come from australia to the nba and like he's done really well so I think going to the NBL was a good move, but Usman Dieng, I mean, he, he struggled in a big way. Um, you know, even if I just read you right now some of his numbers, um, if we look beyond the fact that he's not even averaging five points a night, um, you know, he's shooting 21% from three, 27% from the field, which, I mean, is, a, is abysmal, uh, obviously. Um, he, he's turning the ball over. Not twice as much, but I mean, he, he's turning the ball over more than he assists. Um, you know, I mean, he, he's getting like killed on defense sometimes. So, I mean, obviously everything that I've just described after all that, why would anyone want this guy? Right. But, but I do, I mean, I, I'm on Usman Dieng Island. I don't know if I'm the last person there, but I think that, you know, I think we've seen it like last year with BJ Boston and people like that who, um, you know, you might just not always go to a situation that ends up being as good for you as it first seemed. So I'm hopeful that this is the case here. Um, in New Zealand, over in New Zealand, they've got Dieng playing off the ball for the most part. So he's spotting up a lot. Um, you know, he's taking like a lot of catch and shoot threes, um, not really encouraged to like flesh out his game that much, which I think is a mistake. But I think it's a mistake for him not for the team because obviously whenever you're running a basketball team your goal should be to win games um but i do think that this has negatively affected him just because he has not been able to really shine or even get a chance to develop in the role that sort of makes him appealing which is like you said a sort of you know six nine french youngster who can handle the ball um who can like find people like out of the pick and roll and to his credit, to Dieng's credit, like he has done that at times in the NBL this season. Like I think his best moments have come whenever he's been handling the ball. But that happens so rarely that all we've really been able to see um, among all the terrible percentages and, you know, shooting nights, all that we've been able to see is, you know, sort of really, really slight flashes. Um, I'm hopeful, you know, with Dieng, his last game, um, I believe like about a week ago, he scored 14 points. Um, he he made four of eight his four of eight of his threes. Um, so if that's a turning point for him, I would be feeling very good. Um, I think he still has enough time to sort of revitalize his draft stock. Um, over the last three games, he scored 14, seven, and nine, which you know does not does not seem like an entirely great deal. But you kind of have to consider that in the three games before that, he scored zero, three, and five. So if we're seeing even any type of improvement, I'm not saying that Dieng is ever going to get back up to the point where, like, you know, it seemed at the start of the season that he could be a lotto pick. But I do think, like, a guy in the early or late second round that either you draft and stash or that you just, you know, you put him in the G League for a while to see how he develops, I think he's definitely worth a flyer. Um, you know, the Knicks right now, they, they were projected, they're projected to have, I should say, the 40th pick. If they were to pick someone like Dieng there, um, you know, you sort of put him, you know, in Westchester, have him develop. Um, you know, like you said, there's going to be such a logjam of minutes um, for New York anyways that 
it's not like he would be seeing the floor in year one or maybe even like year two. So if you have a guy, you know, who has these flashes of being a 6'9 ball handler, um, you know, who can facilitate a little bit and who you're hoping can eventually just make his threes, um, I, w- I would definitely take a flyer on him. I mean, if it doesn't work out, whatever. But if it does work out, then it's a huge win. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that the Westchester stuff in the G League because one thing I, I haven't talked about this much on pods and I feel like I should have a whole episode on it is I don't know if – I think people who watch the draft might have a little bit better of a grasp on it than other folks. I don't want to say casuals. I'll just say people who who don't spend all their time looking at prospect videos like us. <laughs> but – um there's like a whole new category of player emerging into the league, which is good players who are even sometimes picked high, but have to spend time in the G League. The G League was sort of previously a a ground for guys who might who might not who mostly can't make it into the league, but you know maybe one out of every twenty of them can become a role player and maybe if they're really lucky they'll become like Royce O'Neal which is what he did I believe coming from the G League something like that but the league is so flush with talent right now and you know some some guys who've been in the league a long time are finally leaving the league that there's just not enough roster spots to include minutes for some of the talented guys so you know, while some coaches are happy to, um, it, some coaches prefer to bring bring their young boys on the road with them. Um, you're seeing a lot more front offices and coaches be comfortable just letting higher picks cook in the G League a lot more. Um, we've seen it this year with guys like Isaiah Jackson. We've seen it with the Knicks with Deuce McBride, who's been arguably the best guard in the G League, and he barely plays for the big squad. Not because. I mean, part of that has to do with Tibbs being an asshole, but aside from that, like, <laughs> it's it. There's just too. There's just too. There's just not enough spot. Jaden Springer. Some people had Jaden Springer in the top in the top fifteen of their big boards, and he's been spending the entire season in the G League for Philly. So, like, it's not because he's going to be out of the league. It's because this is the way they can get some reps, and it's becoming like a domestic version of a draft and stash which is something the Knicks are also comfortable with because we saw them do that with Rokas last year, um, who's doing his thing in Spain. So I could definitely see something like that. And um, like you said, if the cost is low enough, if he drops far enough, I think the Knicks and other teams should consider it. Like he's definitely been really bad, but you know, you, you really got to, See see what's there, and uh, I guess just weigh the risk with the reward because you can always get a good role player in the second round, and that's the other thing that they'll have to weigh, like the upside versus the role player. So we'll see what happens with Uzman. I really liked him early on, and he was just so bad that I was like, I'm going to not think about him until the draft. So maybe if he continues to look decent, I'll, I'll check out some of his games, and uh, hopefully he keeps it up because the idea of a – Six foot nine passing shooting connector wing seems pretty sweet for a second round pick. Um, but yeah, I, I've kept you here for over an hour, so we can wrap up. Wilco, thank you for for joining, um, folks. I mentioned it at the top, but uh, 
check out his YouTube channel, Floor and Ceiling. There's videos on the guys we talked about and a bunch of other players like Harrison Ingram and um, many other guys who I'm forgetting. You can find him on Twitter at WilkoMCV. Give the man a follow. Wilco, um, thanks for joining. Is there anything that you have coming up that, that you want to that you want to plug so people can keep an eye out? Uh, I mean, thanks for having me on, first of all. And then, yeah, I mean, just be on the lookout for my next video on Ty Ty Washington this weekend. Um, YouTube.com forward slash floor and ceiling. Uh, yeah, on Twitter at WilcoMCV. You can find me on there pretty regularly. Um, yeah, I mean, just those two plugs are good. You know, just keep keep listening to this podcast. Share everywhere you can. And uh, yeah, man, I, I really appreciate you having me on and uh, had a good time. Great. Last question before I get you out of here, since your next video is on Ty Ty. This is already a hot debate on Knicks draft Twitter. If the Knicks do their Kentucky thing and take Ty Ty Washington as a point guard, bad decision because he can't get rim pressure and he's kind of a combo guard and they already have quickly and they already have Deuce and they already have Rokas or good decision because he's a very good basketball player. What do you think? What's the gut reaction? My gut reaction is actually a good decision, but I will say though, I, I really do think the Knicks need, you know, that rim pressure and that athleticism. And Ty Ty isn't really gonna provide you with that. But I do think that he's such a steady player and that he can play um in such a variety of roles that it's almost to the point where you just kinda have to draft him and then worry about the fit later. Like I think he can play next to, you know, RJ Barrett and Julius Randle for sure. I think he can play um, next quickly, um, I think IQ would would probably be better as the guy who's like getting more on ball reps in that pairing. But uh, I, I would like the tie tie pick for New York. Like I, I wouldn't be ecstatic if I was like a Knicks fan, but I would I would feel alright about it. Um, I think it would kind of be one of those things where, like you draft him and like you're a little worried about the fit. But um, I think we've seen in recent years that the NBA is going to be kind of moving towards these lineups where you have like three guards or three ball handlers. So if like, if you're able to kind of get ahead of the curve a little bit, sort of like what Cleveland has done, um, you know, with Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, and then like, I mean, Ricky Rubio when they had him, but now it's um, Karis LeVert. So if you're kind of able to do that, or like even kind of like what Washington was doing when they had like Wall and Beal and maybe like another ball handler on the floor, um, I think the Knicks could definitely... I don't want to say get away with it because it makes it sound like picking Ty Ty would be bad. I don't think it would be bad. Like, I don't think it would be a home run pick, but I would feel good about it for sure. I think he's such a good player that if the Knicks were to get him, I think he would be able to figure it out. There you go. I am of the opinion that you should take good basketball players, and I think Ty Ty is a very good basketball player, so I agree with you. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll get you back on closer to the pod when it's more clear who where the Knicks are drafting and then we can have more fun conversations about who is actually good for the Knicks and who is disappointed and all that stuff. But in the meantime, thank you, Wilco and listeners. Check out Florida Ceiling and we will see you next time. The New York Knicks York select... Knicks. The New York Knicks select.
Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini yeah, it's fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.